The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So excited to be with you guys tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ezra, Ezra chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2 in our second week looking at this incredible book, Ruin to Restoration, how the God that we serve loves to restore broken things, broken people. That's the God that we know, that the God we see in the pages of Scripture. Quickly, how many of you read ahead chapter 2? Just curious. Anybody? A few of you? Okay. Some of you? See those couple of hands? You might want to do that. You might want to pick up on it. Little, 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 Josh, yes, thank you. Uh, just a word of encouragement. Anytime you know, if we're like on Sundays, the book of Acts or on Wednesday, I just encourage you to just read, even if it's in the car on the way in, just to kind of like get a little bit prepared. So it's like, okay, I think I know what turns are going to happen. Now, for those of you who did read chapter 2, maybe you were wondering, what in the world is Pastor Sean going to say about chapter 2? And the reason I said that, because as I read chapter 2, I thought, what in the world is Pastor Sean going to say about chapter 2? <laughs> but I believe it's going to be a great chapter. I think God has some great things for us. Uh, I, I jokingly say that, but all of God's word is profitable. It's uh, given to us by the inspiration of God for correction, reproof, that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. And chapter 2 is no exception. I believe God has some great things to, to speak to us, some great application. So pick up with me. I'm not going to read all of chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses and kind of summarize and make some application. But pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigviah, Rehum, and Baana. The number of the men of the people of Israel. And I'm going to drop down, pick up with me in verse 64. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 200 male and female singers, uh, excuse me, servants, of whom there were 7,000, oh wait, they had two, verse 66, their horses were 736, their mules were 245, their camels were 435, and their donkeys were 6,720. And right now you're thinking, what in the world is Pastor Sean going to say about tonight? Verse 68, some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, made free will offerings for the house of God to erect on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury of the work 61,000 derricks of gold, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priests' garments. Now the priests, the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants lived in their towns and all the rest of Israel in their towns. Father, we thank you so much to be in your house. We do pray tonight that you would speak, speak to your people here at Maranatha Chapel, those of us who are physically present, those of us who are um, worshiping online, we want to acknowledge that we are collectively one in the Spirit of God. And those who may watch this at another time in an archive message, speak to them. We pray for all those tonight who are giving of their tithes and offerings as worship unto you, that you would bless it, that you use it for the furthering of your kingdom. Give us ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us know what it's like to sit through a, a ceremony where names are, are read off. 
Perhaps you've been to a graduation ceremony of a junior high event or high school or, or college, and, and you know, there's this the obligatory person who gives a speech, and then comes the part where the names are read. And you're sitting there, and for the most part, when that's taking place, you're yawning. You're like, you're just waiting, and you're looking at the list, and you're thinking like, stone, that's in the S's. So I've got about 10 minutes before I need to pay attention, you know? And so they're reading names, and it means nothing. But every time they'll read Adams, there's a little, yay! And so, okay, there's the Adams clan. They're excited. And, you know, all the different names are read, and there's a little whistling. And some people, you know, oh, I guess they're really popular. There's more people cheered for that person, you know? But then finally, it comes to the name of the person that you're there to see and their name gets read Noah Stone and I shout hallelujah because it's the greatest miracle in my life my oldest son graduated I didn't think it ever happened and I don't know if Noah's here tonight if he is I'm sorry but it's, when that name was read it was like his mom and I we were so excited because that name being read it, it didn't mean a lot to everybody else but it meant everything to us because the name being read it spoke of his past it spoke of all that had gone through the 18 years leading up to that in his own life, it, it, it spoke to us all the, the late nights of, you know, uh, tutoring and math and encouragement and did you do your homework and early mornings with coffee trying to get him off to school. I mean, all sorts of things. But more than that, it, it gave a picture, obviously, of his present. I mean, here's my, my, my son who was a boy who is now a man. It's like, wow. But more than that, too, it was like this name being read aloud gave a story of the future of possibilities. And so it was great excitement. We all know what that's like. We probably remember when our own names were called at some particular point. I bring that up because we have a glimpse of that tonight. We have a glimpse of that when we see the names being read. And, and there really is a fascination about our names and our, our ancestral names being recorded. How many of you have done the uh, DNA test, Ancestry.com or 23andMe? Any of you guys out there? That's, I'm one of them. I am 48% Scottish, the rest Irish, and a little bit of French-German. And I knew that because my grandmother was born in Glasgow, Scotland, so it was exciting. There was this little bit of like, who am I? Where have I come from? And then you go on there and you kind of find out who your great aunt and uncles are and this or that. And I find out that there's a Thomas Stone that I'm distantly related to who, who signed the Declaration of Independence. So you're in the presence of somebody very famous. I don't know if you knew that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it makes you feel that way. You feel important. It's like the story connects you to the past, but then it kind of gives you a, an understanding of your present and kind of some inspiration for the future, right? And we see it's popular in shows and celebrities, and they go to Ellis Island, and it's a bunch of names, and then, oh, here's your name, and your grandpa came over from here, and there's this story. Well, that's really what we see tonight in chapter two. It's a whole bunch of names that, for the most part, if we were at their graduation, we'd be like, you know, like, they mean nothing to us, but it meant everything to them. There were names that were very important, names that are foreign, names that chances are, if you're expecting to have a baby, you're probably not going to chapter two to find your next baby name. They're just really different types of names, not so popular anymore. But they're recorded not only by the people, but think about this. They were recorded by God for not just all of history, but the word of God endures forever. So these names are recorded for all of eternity. They matter to the people, but they just as much, if not more so, they matter to God. Because, listen, these are the names of the first responders. These are the names of those who at great risk, personal, uh, financial, um, health, um, uh, ridicule, all kinds of things. They were those who responded to the promptings of God's spirit to say, I am going to go back. 
I am going to go back to the land of my fathers. I am going to go back to the land that God promised. These are the names of those who said yes. These are those who said, I, no matter what, I want to be part of God's redemptive history. I want to be a link in the chain of God's salvation story. And they say yes. And God says, I am going to record your names, your family's names for all of eternity. Now, again, I'm going to be honest. It's not at first glance the most exciting, but I did get a bit excited the more I thought about it and and studied and listened to the voice of the Lord. And so it's going to be perhaps a little bit shorter because I want to spend more time next week in chapter three. There's a lot of great, exciting things as the temple gets rebuilt. But there is some great application for us tonight. And so we see tonight, really, the title of the message is The Remnant. That's who these people were. We'll talk about what does that mean to be the remnant. And so the first part is the record of the remnant, then the response of the remnant, what they did and what we are called to do. And finally, the reward of the remnant. What did they experience and what is the reward for those who, like them, say yes to God? Now, again, here in verse one, it says, now these were the people of the province. Who were these people? These are the people who it tells us here in verse one who came out of captivity. They were in exile. They were in the diaspora. They were part of the dispersed people groups. They were those who had suffered originally under the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and his soldiers. It's a mixed group that's coming back. It's a varied group of ages. In this group, I want us to think a little bit about those who for 50 years at this point 70 from the original people who were left, but 50 years from the final fall. Perhaps in this group that comes back, there's some elderly people who were there when Nebuchadnezzar's soldiers marched into Jerusalem. They were there when the priests prayed and and they, they surrounded the temple and they thought, oh God, please, please, please intervene. But God had sent warnings for generations and the people ignored and they continued to worship all the gods and God's, God finally said, you're not going to do that in my land. I'm going to cure you of this idolatry. And so they were there, some of these people, when they, the temple burned, they were there when they witnessed the atrocities of uncles being slaughtered, of babies being thrown. And I won't go into all the details, but even the Psalms describe the babies and rocks, and you can use your imagination. These were some people that had no doubt experienced some post-traumatic stress syndrome. They'd experienced life as a second-class citizen for years, far away from home in another empire, This other group was mixed with people, and the same group was mixed with people who were younger, who were born into captivity, born into slavery, born into this kind of second-class life, but they had been brought up with parents who talked about a home, who told them stories about Israel, who told them stories about Jerusalem, about the promised land, about Moses and Abraham, about David and Solomon, about God's promised through his prophet Jeremiah that God would bring us back one day into that land. And so these were young people full of hope, old people who still had dreams, who hadn't grown so hard-hearted or cynical. That's the group that we are looking at, exiles. And the term exiles is not just a term used to describe a people who are geographically removed from a certain locale. Oh, it is that, but it's more than that. Because if you study the Bible, if you study history, those people who have adopted that term exile, it's so much more than that. It's a kind of an identity. It describes the people who have been displaced from home, who are longing to return home, longing to, to be in a place where they belong. It's a major theme of the Bible. It's a major theme of history. 
If you've ever read Homer in his Odyssey, it's the story of Odysseus and what's he doing? He's in exile for 10 years. He's trying to get home. There's this theme that exists in, in, in our culture because it's a deep, deep need that all of us are trying to get home. When did we lose our home? We lost it in the garden. So even here in the people of Israel trying to get back to the promised land, they're exiles, literally, but also metaphorically, they're always trying to get back to this place. And it should resonate in your heart and my heart because ultimately we're, we're exiles until we come to Christ. And we're still waiting ultimately until we find that home that Jesus promised he's building for us that we will forever be with him. So these are the first responders who have said yes to the promptings and the drawings of, uh, on the hearts from God. What we have here in the book of Ezra is really a second exodus. And I was thinking about it just this afternoon. I don't think it was a coincidence. It, it, it certainly wasn't Daniel's and mine's intention, but we just finished Joshua, which was the recounting of the conclusion of the first exodus. And oh, how the book of Joshua ended. It was triumphant. It was amazing. It was victorious. And the people went in, in mass after that 40 years of wandering. It was so incredible. And here we are so many generations later, they're once again coming, but it's a smaller number. It's a totally different kind of attitude. It's, it's a small group. It's a group of exiles and a different kind of exodus. But once again, God working, God moving, and God bringing his dispersed ones home. The people and names we see listed before us, they mattered, like I mentioned. Like in a graduation you know, pamphlet, it matters to you. These names mattered to those people. They mattered greatly. This was their grandma or their grandpas and their great grandpas. These names were super important. But more than that, I want us to realize, and we'll kind of skim through them quickly, is these names mattered to God. And when we list the total number of people, we see there's a meticulous count. There was this many in this group. There was this many in this group. There was actually this much livestock. Again, we may not think it's that important, but God said, no, this is important. I'm showing you a principle. God is saying, I'm showing you what's important to me, that people matter. And what we see here is we'll see in just a moment, the people aren't just listed like, here's this big group, but there's subgroups that God saw where each one of them belonged. Each one of them had their place. Each one of them had their responsibility and they are noted for us. And let that be a personal application to you. God sees, he knows that you belong. You belong not just into the big group, the church, but you also have a, a place where God sees, where you fit, where you uniquely belong, where you are counted. Because that's who God is. That's the way he's always been, how he will always be. So quickly, we'll see here. These are the numbers, verse five, of the people of Israel. And it lists a whole bunch of names here. Drop down with me in verse 36. We see the first group listed. That, that from basically verse 2 down to verse 35 is kind of the names of all the fathers, the names of all the clans and tribes, you know, sub-tribes. But verse 36, we see the first group. These are the priests, the son of Jediah of the house of Jeshua. And it lists how many names and how many people in their names. Verse 40, the next group, the Levites. The Levites, the son of Jeshua or Joshua, if you've read the book of Zechariah, it tells the story of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. We saw Zerubbabel's name back in verse 2. Zerubbabel and Jeshua, they were the religious and political leaders of this time. So the Levites are the second group. Verse 43, then we have the group of the temple servants. These were those who were called and, and appointed to serve and to carry and to clean and, and to serve the priests at the temple. 
Verse 55, there's another group that Solomon appointed in his time. These were the sons of Solomon's servants, and it goes on to list their names. And you can read about their responsibilities in the book of Chronicles. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants are 392. Verse 59, we come to a different group. I'm going to kind of read this a little bit because I think there's an important point we need to make. The following are those who came up from Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, and the word Tel just means mound or city, an ancient city or ancient hill, Cherub, Adon, and Immer. They could not prove their father's houses or their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. So far, everybody's got a name. Everybody knew where they belonged. They've got, they had the right papers. They had the pedigree. But all of a sudden, we come across a group of people. It's a smaller group, but they don't have the names. They don't have the paperwork. We're not really told why. Did they lose them? Did they really belong? We're not sure at this point. It says, verse 60, the sons of July, and it goes on to list their names. Verse 62 goes on to say, these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies. Everybody else, they could pull out the scrolls. They had their genealogies. They had their certificates. They had the, you know, stamps. They were embossed. They belonged, but not these guys. They were not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. They're in this holding pattern. They weren't allowed to participate. They, they said, no, we're, this is who we are, but they couldn't prove it. And said, until you prove it, you need to step aside. The governor told them they were not to partake of the most holy food until there should be a priest to consult the Urim and the Thummim. Now, we don't know exactly what the Urim and the Thummim were. We read about this in the book of Exodus that Moses had received the instructions from God. The high priest would carry these two things to discern and divine the will of God. Literally, it means light and darkness. They speculate one was a, a, a white stone and a black stone. We don't know if it was like in a pouch and they would ask God's will and they would pull out if it was a yes, the white stone. If it was a no, it was a black stone. Some think the light and darkness could have meant that the stones actually lit up if it was God's will and yes or no. We're not exactly sure, but they were used to divine God's will. And so they say, hey, we don't know what to do with you. We need to discern what is God saying? What is God up to in this? And so they have to set aside for a time. They have to, you know, in this group, they have to be, you know, they have to hear what is God saying? I think it's interesting that for you, I don't know about you, but I read that and I feel sorry for them. And I think, oh man, we should, they, after all that's gone on, the last several generations, I'm sure they're telling the truth. I mean, I don't know. And the sentimental part of me wants to say, well, yeah, just let them come in. Let them do their thing. And we don't really know. And I could have thought of all kinds of reasons why it would be okay. But no, that's not how it works. Sentiment can never trump scripture. Can never trump God's revealed will. And what this tells us, and we're going to come back to and kind of end the message this way, but making a, a point is, over and over we see there are conditions that must be met in order to be a part of God's people. Now ultimately we'll see that God responds and God deals with these people, but they couldn't just say, yeah, you belong and no, yeah. What we discover here, and the point I want to make, and I'm going to swing back to this, is yes, there were certain conditions that have to be met. But why was this energy, this time and effort, why were they so meticulous to record the names? Because... Listen, to be rootless, anonymous, and nameless was the last thing an Israelite ever wanted. Because if you didn't have a name, if you weren't rooted, you had no property. To come back to the land, you didn't belong. You didn't have a city. You didn't, you didn't get a farm. You had, listen, you had no inheritance. You just existed. You were there. 
To not have a name also meant you didn't have a vocation. You didn't have a calling. If you had the right name, Kohathite, we saw, oh, you're a priest. This is what you're supposed to do. Everybody's name corresponded with a job. Listen, with a purpose. To be rootless meant you had no purpose. To not have a name meant you didn't really belong. You didn't really fit. You really weren't sure what you were supposed to do. And maybe the wheels are spinning on how that applies to our life. We see how it legitimately and literally applied right there and then as they were trying to come back to their old farmlands or old houses. And if you didn't have the paper, you didn't get your land back. Rootless and anonymous, the scariest thing for them. I draw your attention to verse 64 because there we have the total number of those who came back. Verse 64 says, the whole assembly together is 42,360 besides their male and female servants of whom there are additional about 7,300 or so. The number on one hand seems like a rather large number, close to 50,000 plus people. That's, That's a pretty substantial number who have come to repopulate Jerusalem and Israel. And on the other hand, there was probably over a million people at one point who would have been uh, in Israel at the time of Nebuchadnezzar's army. There was probably significantly hundreds, perhaps millions or more that were still living in the empire. And the point I'm making is the vast majority of people said, sounds like a good idea. I believe in God, or they might have said, but not yet. Not for me. You see, over the 50 years or so, a lot of them got comfortable. A lot of them figured out a way to make a business, make a life. They may have intermarried. For a variety of reasons, there were so many people that said, I think I'll stay here. I'm glad that you're going back. That's good. Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad you're going back. Some maybe have mocked. I can't believe you're crazy. Israel, it's a dream of the past. Cyrus is the king. You know, Persia is the way of the future. What are you, what are you doing? This is, this is where it's at. But this group of people, 50,000 or so, say, no, we're going back. There was a dream within their heart of something better. There was a dream of home. There was a dream of belonging and receiving a promise that God had made and God still had for them. It's a number, listen, on one hand, it's large enough to say, yeah, this was a genuine reoccupation. It's a number large enough to say, yes, this fulfills the promise of God. And yet small enough to say, it's but a mere remnant It's just a small number. How many more just missed out? How many more said, no, not yet, for you, not for me? Don't be foolish, don't be crazy, I'm staying here. But listen, this is a promise and really that's fulfilled in what God had predicted would happen in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 22. It's in your notes. God said when the people would come back, he says, though your people be like sand by the sea, Israel, only a remnant will return. There were so many in the diaspora, so many in exile, but only a few said yes. When Cyrus sent out his decree and Daniel talked about it last week, all could return, all were given permission, all were invited, but only a small percent said yes. And it's still the same way today. God's spirit goes out, God's spirit calls, and it's always the truth that only a few respond. Jesus said, broad is the path to destruction, narrow is the way to life. It's always been that way that a few of those, it's always a few that say yes. A few of those are willing to count the cost and say, I know there's a cost. I know there's a risk, but God is speaking. My my heart is is being stirred by what God has spoken, by what I believe God is doing, and I want to be a part of that. 
There's a remnant that we see here. God always has his remnant. Though they were numerous, Isaiah says, only a remnant returned who believed God, who trusted God, who said yes to God, who said, I'm in, however, wherever, whenever, God, I will go. They recognize the voice of God. They see God moving. They, they, they felt in their own spirit, we'll see in just a moment, God doing something. They saw the actions of a pagan king saying, go do this. And they knew the timing. The remnant hears. The remnant sees what others don't see. The remnant knows the timing of God and say, now's the time. Now's the time to move. I can't delay. I can't be late. I, I, I can't miss the opportunity. I'm going to go. I hope you're listening to the spirit of God right now and not just thinking, oh, that was just a great history lesson because this has application to us right now. That there's always a remnant that God has. God always works through a remnant of people whose hearts respond to him. Ultimately, see, one of the truest measures that their hearts were changed was not only the fact that they were willing to go. That was huge. Some of them may have been motivated by financial means. Hey, life stinks here. Maybe I can go back there and eke out a living, possibly. But we see here in, in verse uh, 69, actually verse 68, it says, some of the heads of the families, when they came to the house of the Lord, that is in Jerusalem, and we'll see this story next week, they made free will offerings for the house of God to erect on its site according to their ability. And it goes on to describe how much they gave. You know somebody's really been moved when not only do they physically go, but when they open up their wallets. <laughs> That's how you know somebody's heart's really been touched is when they go, yay, God, I'm with you. But my wallet's right here. It says freely they gave. They, they had a vision to see God's house built. And they, out, of their, out of the abundance, they said, Lord, we, we've been given and we're going to gladly give back. There was a generous heart that they gave and responded to, and we'll see a bit more of that next week. A couple of things I want us to, to apply to our lives is this, and really one big point, and then we'll see a reward later. But here's the first point I, I want you to take note of. It's only those who respond to the promptings of God that become the recipients of the promises of God. There's a mouthful there. The remnant, the remnant responds to the promptings of God. And it's only as you respond, respond to the promptings of God that you will ever receive the promises of God. There was probably a whole lot of people who thought, that's a cool promise, the promise, and yeah, we should go. But only a very small percent said yes. There's a lot of people in life say, yeah, it would be good to be a Christian. That sounds good, but they really don't respond. The idea sounds wonderful. Heaven sounds good. Yeah, I want to go there. But they never really respond. There's a lot of Christians who lead a very, you know, suboptimal life. They don't live the abundant life. They're, they're going to get to heaven, but they're, they're, their clothes are going to smell like smoke, you know? It's like, just kind of get in. Like they made it, but they just ignored the voice of God, the promptings of God. They never receive all that God has. And there's some people that you guys know, there's some Christians, and you're like, well, I don't know what it's about them. They just seem so blessed. They just must be special. I want to say to you all on one hand, you're all special. You're all God's favorite. But there's some who say, I'm going to respond. And some of you are envious and jealous of the blessings and others. I want to tell you, the Father in heaven, he wants to bless all of us. And he's looking for people who respond to the promptings. God, I believe, was speaking to all hearts. But only some responded. Only some said yes. God, the restorer, we're talking about ruin to restoration. God is the ultimate restorer. It's his job. 
He does the work. He gets all the glory. But we have to say yes. He initiates. He works. He completes. But we have to partner with him. We have to say yes. We have to step out. We saw this in the book of Joshua. Every feet, every place that the, the feet of your, the soles of your feet step, I've given you. They actually had to go step. They actually had to go fight. There, there were things. God could have just given it to them. He said, no, I'm going to partner with you. They had to respond to the promises, uh, to receive those promises, the promptings of God. Their hearts were stirred. Their emotions were kind of, you know, moved. They were exiles. They were dissatisfied. And all of a sudden, they began to have a vision and a hope of something more. Not just for themselves, but for their kids and grandkids to rebuild once again the kingdom of David and Solomon, the kingdom of God there in Israel. Last week, Daniel touched on this, but something happened within them. Verse 5 of chapter 1, look with me. It says this, Then rose up the heads of the fathers of the houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites. Listen, God initiates everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. The spirit of God stirred their spirits. The spirit of God stirred their spirits. God moved on their hearts. Sure, they saw what he was doing with this pagan king of Cyrus, but there was something that the Holy Spirit stirred within them. There's something that the Holy Spirit stirs within your spirit. Some of you have perhaps heard people, maybe more mature, say, oh, the Spirit spoke to my spirit. And you're like, what? That sounds weird. Maybe you're not sure. That's exactly what happens. We're made in the image of God, body, soul, and spirit. And God's spirit at times will stir. He'll speak to our spirit. It's the inner prompting. It's that still small voice. It's a dream. It's a passion. It's something that his spirit, and the more you walk with him, and the more you say yes, the more you recognize when the spirit of God is stirring your spirit. And it says their spirits were stirred. I think the NIV says their emotions were stirred, but literally the word in Hebrew is ruach. Say a ruach. No, I was kidding, sorry. Ruach. It means breath. It's the spirit. I mean, literally God's spirit touching our spirit, stirring our spirit. The same God that stirred their spirit still stirs yours and mine, our spirit today. You may have heard this before. I'm, I've heard it many times Without God, I can't. Without God, you can't. But oftentimes, without uh, me, he won't. Without you, he won't. What does that mean? It means God is looking for people to partner with. God could do it in an instant. But over and over, God is looking for people who will say yes. He's looking for a remnant who will say, here I am, send me. He wants to deliver his people out of Egypt. He goes to Moses. Moses, I want to use you. Moses, no, use somebody else. And he stutters this and, you know. But God's like, no, I'm going to partner with you. God is always looking for people, a remnant of people who will say yes, who will respond to him. The book of Romans says this, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's how it works. The spirit of God testifies to our spirit. This is the New Testament. His spirit to our spirit, something stirring within us, something that he speaks, a dream, a vision, a command something more, a promise, and we're like, wow, could it be? Should I go? And the more we say yes, the more we say, is that you, Lord? There's something that gets stirred within us. And only 42,000 said yes. 42,000 who knew the cost, but they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to risk. Why? For the vision and the promise of who God is and what they know he could and would do. 
Remnant people are those who respond and ultimately receive the promises of God. They see the power, they know the provision, and they long for the presence of God. That's what they were stirred. It says there in verse 5 of chapter 1, they were stirred for the house, the temple of the Lord, for the presence of God. That's what they were after. Remnant people, that's what they're after. They're after, for the, they're after the presence of God. What is home? Home ultimately is that place where we are in the presence of God. That's what we were made for. And so every true exile longing for home, you're, what you're longing for, what you're after is the presence of God. That's what it means to be home. And listen, God always has a remnant. In every culture, in every generation, there's always 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's always a group. There's always a remnant. God is so faithful. We must respond. Let me make this more practical in your own life. Maybe just shift it down a little, a little bit lower. Or maybe this is a little more practical day to day. In our own lives, we want the promises. Like we, we read in God's word about freedom from anxiety and bitterness. God says, oh, you want that? Then you need to respond to my promptings where I'm telling you you need to forgive. Or I, I want to be free from all this anger. Okay, then you need to forgive your dad. That's us partnering and responding to God's word. I, I want to see this accomplished. God says, great, I need you to pray. I need you to ask. I need you to intercede. Then I'll, I'll, I'll work. Lord, I want to have friends. Well, the book of Proverbs says, God says, he who shows himself friendly will have friends. Oh, Lord, I really want friends. And, yeah, you're really needy. Nobody wants to be your friend. So start being somebody's friend and start giving. And all of a sudden, you'll have friends. That's what God's word says. And by the spirit of God. Lord, I really want financial freedom. I'm just in bondage all the time. God says, I want financial freedom for you. God says, if you, wanna, you want that, this is what you got to do. You start generously giving tithes and offerings and trusting the Lord. I mean, I could go on and on. There's all these things. This is what it means to respond. I'm trying to make it much more practical than just, yeah, this is a big, cool thing. There's a lot of practical things that I want the promises of God, then I need to respond you know, to those promptings, to those clear commands of God. I wonder tonight... What's the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart? What's the Spirit speaking to your spirit? Is he calling you home? Is he calling you out of a lifestyle, a path that you've been on? Is he saying, no more of this. Stop watching that. Stop gambling. Stop, stop taking the family paycheck and, and blowing it all away and, that, and looking for that high. Maybe the Lord's saying, there's, there's something more. I've got a ministry for you. It's a ministry to this group of people. It's a ministry in this country. And you're thinking, no, that's not for me. That's for somebody else. But God's spirit is stirring. Are you willing to say yes? Or are you going to be like those hundreds of thousands that said, well, not yet, not me, not now, some other time. Maybe you feel like an exile. God is drawing you home. You think, is there more? Yes, the spirit of God is saying there is more. One of the things I've realized in my own life when God is getting ready to do something different, to take me to a new place, to move me to a new area, it's ministry or, or personal growth, oftentimes there's this season of discontent. And I heard this term somewhere, I don't know where it, or who came up with it, but it made a lot of sense. Eventually there comes this crystallization of discontent. There comes a place where you're like so dissatisfied. You're like, I'm not staying here anymore. I'm not acting like this anymore. I've got to move forward. And I'm sure the exiles there, you know, in Persia are like, I am not staying here anymore. I am ready to go. Maybe God's spirit is speaking to your spirit and there's this season of discontent and you're thinking, there's got to be something more. I want to say to you tonight, there's something more. If you would say yes to God. 
So we see the response of the remnant. Finally, the reward. And I'm going to just kind of land here. And I mentioned earlier, the worst thing that could happen is that you are rootless, anonymous, nameless. But this isn't just for them. This wasn't just for that time period. It wasn't just for the physical land that was there in Israel. Listen, this is something that has far weightier implications. This has eternal significance. Again, it's never the case that God automatically just considers all people part of his family. Remember I mentioned earlier, there are conditions. There are things that we need to respond to to make sure that we actually have a name, that we are rooted. Sentiment never trumps scripture. You see, just as there was a record of names here in the book of Ezra and many other places in scripture, all those things are always a shadow. They're pointing to something far, far more. Because God has a record of the ultimate remnant of those who have said yes to the narrow path. There are records that God says heaven keeps. There are records of your deeds. There's things that you will be rewarded with, crowns. What you will do for all of eternity happens to be recorded based on what you do with the things that God has given you in this life. And that's a whole other message. But the point is this. God has records in heaven. Names still matter. His name, your name matters to him. There's an ultimate record, and the one thing I want to draw our attention to and focus in on is one particular book that you better make sure your name is recorded in. It's called the Book of Life for the Lamb's Book of Life. In Revelation chapter 21, it says this, nothing impure will ever enter enter heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. But listen, but only those whose names are written, recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. See, we see these things in the Old Testament. We kind of don't always see the connection. All these things are pointing to an ultimate reality. They feel the weight. No, I need to make sure my names are written in these books. And God is saying, yeah, so much more. There's an ultimate book that one day we will stand before God and the book will be open. And that's one name, like a graduation ceremony. You want to make sure your name is called out. <laughs> you want to make sure my name is in that book. <laughs> my name is, you know, spoken out in, in, in that ceremony. How can you be sure tonight that your name is on that record, that it's written in that book? It's by saying yes to Jesus. In that moment, when you say yes to Jesus, you become the recipient of the ultimate promise, and that's salvation. Your sins are forgiven. There has to come a moment when you realize, I am in exile. I am in the diaspora. I am far off. My sin has separated me from God. I, I am spiritually homeless, and I want to come home. I want to get home. I, I, I not only want to get to heaven someday, I, I need you, God, in my life right now. I need to come home today in this moment. Lord, I need to know that you're real. I need you present in my life. Listen, Jesus, that's why he came, was to make a way for us to get home, a place where you can belong. How do we make sure that we have uh, the right family line, that we're not rootless and nameless? Jesus said this in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, it's in your notes. Yet to all who did receive him, receive who? Jesus. To those who believed in his name, the name Jesus, he gave the right to become the children of God. You believe in the name of Jesus, you have the right to become children of God, the sons of God. Children not born of natural descent. It didn't matter if you, I mean, these guys had to have the natural descent figured out. God's, no, no, it doesn't matter if you're, grandfather's name was Moshe or Avrahim or anything like that. No, no. This is a spiritual thing. Not of human decision or husband's will, but those who were born of God. 
by believing in the name of Jesus, by calling on the name of Jesus. It says in Romans, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the Lord Jesus shall be saved. And listen, I finally end with this. I finally end with this verse in Revelation chapter 3. It says this in Revelation chapter 3. I will never blot out, Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. The person who? The person who acknowledges him. He says, but I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. You see, there's coming a day when the books are opened. And we began this service kind of in that kind of analogy of names being written and celebration taking place. I envisioned there, I was sitting in my office today, and I just started crying, thinking about, Lord, I want to make sure my name's in, in your book. Because, you know, at a graduation ceremony, family's cheering. But what we have here, Jesus says, in that day, when your name is read out, who's going to cheer? He is. I will acknowledge. When Sean Stone is written out, Jesus says, yes, I acknowledge him because he acknowledged me on earth. And I wonder tonight, do you know that your name is written there? That you're the remnant who says yes to God. If you're not sure, I want to give you an opportunity right now. Before we respond in worship and receive communion, I want to give you an opportunity right now to make sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Let's close our eyes and bow our head. And if anyone's here tonight and you're not sure and you're saying, I don't know, listen to the voice of the Spirit because the Spirit right now is prompting you. You feel like an exile. You feel like an outcast. You feel like you don't belong. There's an emptiness. There's a guilt. There's a shame. And the voice of the Spirit says tonight, come to Jesus and you'll belong. Your sins will be forgiven. Jesus says, I'll give you my name. I'll make sure your name is written in my book forever. And if that's you tonight, I, I just want to simply ask that you to repeat this prayer after me. And you believe it in sincerity, you believe it in faith, and God will do it. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I open the door of my heart, and I invite you to come inside. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to follow you all the days of my life until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer in sincerity and in faith, your name is written forever in his book. Your name is written forever in his book. Your sins are forgiven. You belong. You belong to the family of God. Right now, we're going to respond in worship. You should have received the cup and the bread and a little um, package there on your way in. And as we do on Wednesday nights, this time of response, this time of worship, we have the opportunity to remember Jesus, to partake, to receive strength from his life by faith. If you need prayer tonight, the pastors of prayer team, we're always down front. We're always eager. We're, we pray throughout the day for opportunities to pray for you. We pray for you, and we're looking forward to these times, and the Holy Spirit shows up in very powerful ways, and we always love the testimonies that we get to hear of God healing, of God giving an encouraging prophetic word, of God just meeting somebody emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And tonight, for some of you, Maybe the, the Spirit's prompting you in a very specific area. Tonight's the night where you can do business with him and say yes. And say yes and surrender. And whatever it takes, wherever he wants you to go, whatever he wants you to do, tonight's the night where you say, yes, Lord, I'm all in. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.